What does it take to build a better music industry? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. We're going to talk about the music industry today and how it screws over musicians. Me being one uh, of those people who got screwed over by services like Spotify and iTunes and Pandora. I'm looking forward to learning something today. Uh, my guest today is on a mission to build a better music industry, a more fair music industry for the artists that is and so i am really uh hoping to learn something today and i hope you will too and i hope you will share this information with your musician friends uh before i get to him i need to quickly talk about our sponsors today's show is brought to you by audiobooksnow.com you know about audiobooks you know about the convenience of audiobooks but you also know and get them just about anywhere on the web right now. So what makes audiobooks now different? Well, the answer is simple. Price point, price point, price point. Audiobooks now club pricing plan is simply the best deal on audiobooks you'll find. It offers a savings and flexibility not found anywhere else with their save on everything discounts, rollovers, exclusive offers, loyalty program, incredible selection, and cancel anytime policy. It simply cannot be beat. Plus, get a free premium audiobook on select titles when you click the link that's in our description. Now, you're also going to be offered a 30-day free trial of the club pricing plan, which is normally $4.99 a month. It's absolutely free for you to try for 30 days. You're not happy at any time. You just cancel and you won't be billed a penny. And you can listen to a lot of books in 30 days, my friends. With audiobooks now, you save on every audiobook you purchase. They don't use gimmicky credits to hide the true costs. Whether you want to save big uh, through the club pricing plan or simply purchase at their everyday low prices, the lowest anywhere, by the way. Uh, they offer one of the largest selections of audiobooks anywhere. You can download or stream the audiobooks through the website or free apps. And all apps include in-app purchasing. The links are in the description. I do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors now. On to today's big program. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about building a better music industry, more fair for the artists, for the people who write and create the music. Uh, right now, if you don't know, uh, like if I'm on Spotify and one of my songs gets a, I believe it's a million streams, I think I get $600. I think that's the way it works. I don't know. I haven't had a million streams on any of my songs. So, uh, and uh, the paychecks I've gotten from uh, iTunes and, and Pandora and stuff like that have been literally uh, less than uh, it would cost for a stamp to mail me the check. Not very fair to creators. Carl Hitchborn, a.k.a. The Baker, and I have to say, uh, The Baker always reminds me of that Enzo from, from The Godfather. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Enzo, the baker. We better get out of here, Enzo. It's going to be trouble. If there is trouble, I will stay to help you for your father, for your father. No Godfather fans out there. 
Anyway, Carl Hitchborn, a.k.a. The Baker, CEO and co-founder of, of Escape Arc, is here to uh, talk about his mission to build the biggest and fairest music company in the world and in the process create brand new music, uh, brand new music industry where artists don't just survive, they thrive. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Carl Hitchborn to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Carl, welcome. Hello, Matthew. Thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast yeah thank you uh for uh coming now uh I, let's start with the baker stuff where were you an actual baker i was indeed yes <laughs> um if i if i go back 12 years i was in my bakery um deciding that this was not where i needed to be and and so the the i had a family bakery business and it was very much um you know, it was a, a learning experience. I learned a lot from the craft of, of being a baker and and also a lot about how to build a business. I, I grew the business quite fast from a few staff to 50 plus staff. And it was very much a learning experience that I've used to apply to everything else I've done since. And so I was there in the trenches. Um, I understand the craft and, and, and that, you know, Really, baking is an art form in itself. And so I understand artists from my own experiences. And so, um, yeah, they call me the baker because that's where I came from. That's actually a true story. And I can actually still bake bread. <laughs> well, that's a very cool uh, <laughs> skill to have. Uh, now, I know you're in California and you have a very strong California accent, obviously. Uh, <laughs> No, you're not originally from California, are you? I'm from I'm from I'm from um, a city called Norwich in the UK, um, and born and bred in Norwich. And uh, just before I moved to Los Angeles, I was living just outside of London, and so I've been in Los Angeles for just over two and a half years. And um, certainly, the sun is a a big bonus versus the the London weather. Yeah, I think we have a uh, where I am. We've been having a bunch of London weather. It's still not springtime here. Very <laughs> cloudy and and wet, and it's it's just not fun. It's kind of depressing. So tell me about the bridge from Baker to the music industry. Uh, how did that? How did you make that connection? And, and so I I, I, uh, I was in a it was a really interesting situation. Um, I was growing the bakery business, but I had conflicts with the family in terms of the growth that I wanted to continue with and, and the impact that I wanted to make. And they were they were kind of frustrated with the fact that I was always trying to do more and always trying to innovate and always trying to trying to get to the next step, whereas they just wanted to, to stand still and carry on in the same way that it was. And they used to question why I wasn't happy just to have a nice house and have a nice car and all of these things. And so I said to my wife, I need to, I need to get out of this place. I need to find my own lane where I can make the impact I believe I can on the world and on the people of the world. And so I decided that I would venture into the music industry because in my logical mind at the time is like music connects with every human on earth. It's one of the most powerful mediums of connection that exists. And so if I can make, a wave in the music industry, I could make a wave in the entire world. And so that was the beginning. And and there I was, I decided that I was going to venture into the industry. I didn't know anyone. I can't play any instruments. Um, I decided that I was just going to do it. And yeah. 
it, it chose like one of the most, if I may, screwed up industries in the world to jump into, though. And uh, and obviously he found out how how screwed up it is. Now I, I'm I don't know exactly what the what the thinking is behind uh, destroying the artists who create the products that you're selling, what what the long-term strategy for the business is. But I know it's really unfair to the people who create. And so at some point, you're just um, killing your own product, in my mind, when when you do that. But uh, tell me about uh, what your discovery of 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 the music business and uh, what you what what you bit off because everybody's always going to need baked goods and everybody's always going to need music, but there isn't a monopoly at the top of the, the baking chain that's, that's forcing people to eat this kind of bread or just shoving, you know, uh, maybe there is, maybe I'm, I'm wrong about that. I don't know the baking industry, but tell me about uh, the, the lessons you learned getting into the music business about how, how it's structured. Yeah, one of the the first things, one of the first meetings I had was with um, a couple of Finnish pr- producers and songwriters called The Animal Farm. Um, some guys called Vida and Matt Lepinen. They're from they're from Finland, but they live in London. And I ventured to their studio in in London from Norwich. It's, Norwich is about two hours from London. I got in my car and I went to the studio and I sat down and had a meeting with Vida and. I was in the studio and, and there was a band in the studio and I said to him, this, the song that I keep hearing on, they were, they kept on doing takes for this song. I was like, this song doesn't, isn't really connecting with me. It doesn't sound, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's particularly good. And he was like, well, this is not the song that we wanted to record. The A&R told us that this is the one that we must record. And I was like, well, who is, who is an A&R? What do they do? And he's like, well, they work with the label and they, they kind of, they're meant to like coordinate the the making of a record and and but very often they're really um, dis- making decisions based on their own agenda or their own egos or these things and so often you end up doing work that's not the work that the artists want to do or we want to do as well and so I was like okay and he said well the next thing will happen is that they'll make a video and they'll go to radio and they'll do all these things and they'll end up spending a hundred grand on a campaign. And I was like, well, that song is not a good foundation for this. And he's like, yes. And and I said, well, it must cost a lot to be in the studio and all of these things. He's like, yeah, you know, this is expensive. We're in London. We've got all of these resources that we're allocating to the project. And so it was an immediate thing for me of what is going on in this industry when you've got, you're making a product that clearly is not the best, but you're trying to market it to the consumer surely that's a recipe for a disaster. Um, and so Vida explained to me that they, the major labels, they do this, they, they sign lots of stuff, they throw a lot of mud against the wall and they hope that one of them will stick and their model allows them to operate this way. And it just seems like a really crazy model for me that you would decide that you would just spend all of this money without even knowing if it was gonna work or even have any idea if it was gonna work. But the model allowed them to do that and so, Really, it made me realize that there's some dark things going on in the industry. And so from that point onwards, I was really investigating the ins and outs of the industry and understanding what goes on and how everything works. And the more I delved in, the more horrified I was, basically. Yeah. Uh, The music industry has changed tremendously 
in my lifetime and in the time that I've been creating music. And in the old days, at least there would be, they would intentionally uh, sign bands and um, pay for us, give them some advance for the recording and stuff like that, but with no intention of really getting behind it and distributing it. And I could never figure out what the, why they would do that. But it turns out that, uh, at least I've been told this, that a, a part of that was, uh, part of it was what they call Hollywood accounting. So they would kind of write off the loss uh, from uh, and put it against the gains and write off the loss in exaggerated terms with some really loose bookkeeping that made it sound like they invested millions when they might have invested $50,000 or something in yes. an act and just put it on the shelf. I don't know how much that's changed, but from what I've... Uh, listen to from Patrick from the Black Keys talking about how how that A and R game that you just described is, is basically the A and I guys are are just trying to um, find a way to blame failures on somebody else, and so yes. they <laughs> so it's it's all about you know hiding the blame or pointing a, a direction of the blame in an, in another area, but they they do that with the anticipation that things that they that are proposing are going to fail but just trying to keep themselves, uh, you know, co- keep their own ass covered. It's a really crazy game. And so how does it benefit the industry in, in any way to have that model continue? Well, the, the model is designed that the one that blows up, the one that is successful will will pay for the ones that failed. And and th- that means that the, the deal that the artist has is very aligned to the, the labels. And so... You know, they, they have this system of, they give you a very small royalty, but then what they do is they recoup most of the expenditure that they spend against your royalty. So as you start, as they start scaling you, as they, as they spend more money, you become more and more unrecouped. Right. And so they, they start making millions of dollars while you're still not getting any of the royalties. And so they give you an advance, yes, but, but they keep you unrecouped so that they are always charging the cost to you. And so if your royalty is 10%, you have to bring in a million dollars just to cover, just to recoup back to zero. So right. they, keep, they keep you unrecouped and they keep you in a position where you're never going to recoup. And there's lots of projects out there that have sold millions and millions of records that are still unrecouped from their label expenditure, which is screwed up. So who's really running the the industry now? Is it it's not record companies, right? It's Spotify and Pandora and iTunes and and the like. Is is or do I have that wrong? Well, you have to really you have to look at the, the these platforms really as being they are mechanisms of consumption. So these are where people are consuming music, but the rights holders, you know, the major labels, they still control the history of music. They have all of that catalog, and so they. The deals that are in place um, with the um, with, with the streaming platforms are deals that they've created that are again aligned to them. And so, if you look at all the data, the labels are making you know they, they are growing every year. Their income is growing every year now because of streaming. And so they are printing money right now at a level they never have printed money because there's no physical cost anymore. It's all digital. And I think I read um, recently that um, the major labels are, are generating a million dollars every every hour from from streaming. And so, 
Uh, so do they, they I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off here, but are they getting a, a higher rate than like Spotify would pay to, uh, or YouTube or whoever, pay to an ind- independent artist directly? Like, So if I'm getting, I think, 0.006 cents per stream, whatever it is, 0.006 cents per stream, uh, uh, the record labels getting higher than that? I think that the, the deals that they have, um, you know, it's, it's relatively secret what their deals are but i do think that there is alignment to an overall alignment to the independent community as well so there's a an organization called merlin that basically they represent the independent community and the independent community is big so they they have leverage and and so what they do is they go and negotiate the deals that the independents have and so the deals that they can negotiate are in line with what the majors get but the thing is the majors have they have the history of music, they have all that catalog. And so there's a lot of, you know, if you look at, if you go to an artist like the Beatles, for instance, you know, if you go there, they have a lot of listeners and so they're getting a lot of streams. And so all of the artists from those eras, that they, they're not having to pay to create those recordings anymore. They're just generating income ongoing from this new way of consumption. And, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of bad press around the payouts, but the thing that you have to look at with the streaming platforms is it's really about volume. So it's about getting, if you can get um, millions of streams happening, that's where you do start to earn money. And actually, the number you said earlier, the $600, that's actually the songwriter's um, share. The master right. share is actually much bigger. Um, for a million streams, you know, it does depend on the territories and where the streams are coming from. But, you, you know, you can generate $4,000 for every million streams that you generate. And so if you get to the point where you're, you're generating tens of millions of streams every month from your music, that's when it starts to become very interesting. And so um, you know, I've seen firsthand the power of building an audience and then getting streams happening. I've seen it. Um, I've seen the income that comes in. And so it's it's um there's there's a couple of elements to this one thing is that it's still relatively new streaming is a relatively new platform it's been around for a while but the actual mass adoption is still coming and so once the entire world has streaming that's when the royalties will really start to become much more interesting because it's more about if everyone in the world is using it then the income that will come in will be bigger it's more of a volume game so we need enough people using it and then also, there's also a price point that they started with. So they started at like $9.99 per month, but they're already starting to increase that price. So as the price goes up, so will the payouts. So right. it's kind of like there's the bad press that's happening, but I, I can guarantee you if we project 10 years from now, people are not going to be complaining about Spotify anymore. They're going to be saying like, wow, this is incredible. This helps me make a living. This helps me um, make music for a living. And th- there are more artists than ever actually able to make a living because of this. I I uh, understand there's more opportunity out there, but uh, you know I've been on YouTube since 2006. There was a time when it was it was paying me some decent. I mean, I was getting like maybe I want to say seven fifty to a thousand dollars a month from it, but it wasn't ever enough to really support me. Yes. Uh, so, and that's you know, we're talking fifteen years now. Um, and so you're talking another ten years before I'm going to see. <laughs> well, you know, I'll probably be I dead. That, <laughs> I think that the what you have to consider is that the master income is one part of your business, and so if you if you look at building a holistic business of cultivating an audience and building a relationship with them, and then 
looking at how you can monetize at different levels. You know, fat, if someone really consumes your music a lot, they still want memorabilia. They still want things like vinyls. Some people still like to have CDs. They like to have the physical thing. And so if you build a relationship with your audience where they are listening, then you've got the opportunity to start to generate more income from them from the other avenues that you have available to your, to yourself. And so as an artist, it's really about understanding that streaming, if you consider this, that it used to be that you would have to get on the radio and then you would have to get people listening and then they'd have to go and buy a, a physical product. Today, if you just get people to start listening to your music, you will start to generate an income. It might not be a big income at first, but you are generating an income to get them to listen to you. Got and it. so there's a whole step that's been removed that's no longer there. And you know, as you know, Matt, it was like to get on the radio back in the day, it was very much the monopoly of the major labels. The only way you could get on the radio was to, to sign to a major label. That was the only way you could do that. Yeah, uh, well, I go back to a point where, where even before that, where you can actually pay and the, the <laughs> pay to get on the radio. But um, the, the thing that has changed in the radio business is the diversity. When, when you know, when I was a kid growing up, there were so many stations, and I grew up even before FM was 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 a big thing. But even on AM, there was a diversity of stations, and then when FM came in, there were so many. Uh, radio stations playing different formats. Now you have six companies running everything, uh, and all the radio stations sound exactly the same, and they're all formatted for the most popular bag. And so there's less experimentation, less uh, less opportunity for bands that are not necessary cookie cutter taylor swift katie perry yes. uh there's less opportunity for those bands who are trying something new or to break through in the radio world so that has changed in a big way i don't i don't know wh where it's going from here I, I i appreciate your optimism uh but and, and obviously you have a lot of it because you're like david and goliath here now you're you're stepping into something which is you're one man against a machine that has been built up for a hundred years now, uh, and, and billion, billionaire trillions of dollars, maybe. Uh, how, how, <laughs> how did you? What was your plan to approach this and say, "I can do this"? Realistically, being one person up against a machine of, you know, bureaucracy and and big yeah. money. Well, I, I had um, I had an alternative rock band that I was working with called The Hunter, and. I had, I had a, another band that I was working with before them called Coast that I actually, the band really felt that they had to be with a major label. So I ended up partnering with Warner Music um, globally. I, I did a deal with Capital in the US, but Warner everywhere else. And so, you know, I was already very cautious. The things that I learned in the early stages of the industry when I first got involved, I was like, the major labels are scumbags. I don't want to work with any of these people. Um, I was very cautious. And so, um, when I worked with this project, we, we managed to build independently very um, quickly and got lots of momentum. So we ended up getting the attention of all of the major labels. And in the end, I ended up doing a deal with the chairman of Warner at the time, Maxi Sarder, and being in a position where I had the chairman in my camp, I had the, the former chairman in the UK was also in my camp. I did publishing with him. So I had two, I had two big hitters in my team. Wow. But also, when I did the deal, I also had the resources of the major label. And so when we did the deal, I was like, okay, let's see what happens. But I do feel that we're gonna have a lot of um, obstacles because I knew from my experiences and my knowledge of what's seen, 
even with having support, we're still going to have lots of struggles. And so at that point, um, we, we went from like me and a, a, a very small team to having, you know, 30 people in the team and all of these people that were meant to be doing stuff. And so in the end, I sat down and I, I realized that these people that were meant to be doing stuff, as you said earlier, Matt, a lot of the time is that they are, they're busy being busy trying to make sure that they don't get um, on the hook for any mistakes or failures that may come into the equation, which in the music industry, nearly everything fails. So they're all trying to deflect blame. They're all trying to, so they're, they're more focused on saving their jobs than they are in actually trying to do anything. Taking action is a very scary thing for any of them. So um, this band I was working with, Coast, they, we had lots of momentum. We did the deal. We lost a lot of our momentum and, and it was very painful. But so the next project, the Hunter, I was like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to do this differently. And so I decided that I was going to operate as the manager, the label, the publisher, the live promoter, the merchandiser. We we're going to do everything in house ourselves and we we're going to cut the industry, cut the industry out. Okay. And so this was at the end of 2015. So we, we released the first song in October 2015. And by January 2018, the band were playing to 10,000 people in London. And they, we sold 60,000 albums. We, we generated 150 million streams on Spotify. Wow. And we did, we did this without any of the traditional stuff that the labels do. We did it direct to consumer. We built the relationships. We built an audience. We cultivated an audience that was very, very um, supportive of everything we were doing. And so we, you know, I'm not coming from a place of speculation or an idea. I'm coming from a place of having done this and, and, and really done the R and D on how you do this. And in a way where you can, you can replicate and scale this um, over and over because it was based on the, the traditional industry is very much a, a throwing mud against the wall activity. It's like, let's throw enough mud. And if we do that, some will, will stick. I don't believe that that's a good idea. And so my approach was to make a plan the things that we set out to do, um, we decided to do that before we even released any music. We said that we would get to Brixton in two years and we ended up doing two. We said that we would play certain venues on our journey. We did all of those and more. And so I, having done that through consideration, not through chance, I know I can replicate that over and over. And in the last two years, I've been really building support. I've been educating artists and creating relationships at scale. I've done over 6,000 one-to-one Zoom calls with artists and people who work with artists in the last two years. And so it's, it's um, I know firsthand the demand is huge. People want this and I know that it's possible. And so, yes, it's a big objective and it is David and Goliath, but the advantage that you have being from outside of the system is that you can be dynamic, you can be nimble, you can, you can you, instead of uh, waiting for the tanker to turn, you can, you can move much faster. And so I have an abundance of projects that I'm developing that are way further ahead of where the Hunter were when I launched them, that I know that we already have the plan. And so I'm very confident that this mission is one that's achievable. 
So uh, tell me exactly, because uh, I'm a little bit intrigued here now about uh, how exactly Escape work. Is it just a consultancy? Basically, you, you have these Zoom calls and help people straighten out uh, their business plan, their their model for their, uh, but you're not doing any of the hands-on managing? Is that so the, the way? There's, there's, there's two parts. So one part is really about building infrastructure so that we can partner with artists and scale their businesses and help them get to great heights, help them get to arenas, help them do all of those things, okay? And and doing so in a way where there's a fair and equitable share of the proceeds that comes in. You know, it's not, you know, we have to make money and we have to have, we have, to have the ability to recruit our investments. But as the money's coming in, for me, it's not fair that the artist is only getting 10%. Of the money that's coming in it needs to be a much more of a um, an equitable share it needs to be more of a partnership you know and, and also not just about um short-term thinking the major labels are very much like if it doesn't work within a certain time frame that's it we're cutting funding we're, we're shutting this down whereas my philosophy is let's let's find artists that we believe in let's develop them correctly let's give them the foundation that they need to build a big career and let's be with them in the good times and the bad times when things are not going to plan Let's not desert them. You know, they are relying on us to get their, their artistry out there to the world. They're relying on us to build the audiences for them. And we must be accountable to them. They must be accountable to us by delivering us the art that's going to connect with the audience. And so that's a for me that that's a partnership of us coming together with them. You know, our art is to come up with creative marketing strategies, come up with creative plans and do things that are going to help get them out into the world. Their art is to create art that's going to connect with the audience, that's going to resonate with the audience. And so that's that needs to be a partnership. It needs to be fair for us and for them. And so my, my philosophy is much more around, um, you know, equal partnerships. Like we're going to go into the trenches, you're going to go into the trenches, and we're going to fight for you. And we expect that you're going to fight for us. And we're in this together. And so, yes. Uh, I'm just thinking when, when you talk about artists, um artists being one person or artists being a band because i think from a business perspective when you're engaging with a team rather than an individual one person who's accountable for the whole thing that's a that's a risk because every band in my experience every band is on the verge of breakup at all times, yes, uh, 100%. So it, it, from your perspective, that seems like a, a risk if you're getting involved with a band rather than just a songwriter or producer or something. Well, uh, so, here, so, so here's, the, here's the, the thing that I've been doing is that what, what I've been doing is I've been educating, giving artists education. So I've been creating information products, courses, um, Giving, giving them the keys, the keys to be able to build the business themselves so that they understand what is involved and they understand the processes and they understand the, the effort that goes in. And so what I'm doing is I'm building an education system that will, check, will, will find artists that collectively have the mindset that's needed, that are working as a unit and that have a mindset of they want to make an impact in the world, they want to serve their, um, the audience with art that's gonna connect with them. And so it's very much about um, finding projects that really, they, they have um, unity as a collective. And there are, there are many people, and I've got many projects that I'm mentoring that, you know, the people that they are making the art with, 
they are they have unity they have um loyalty they have they're not on the edge of breaking up every day they are they they want to be, do this together and I, you know i've got projects that have been working together for 20 years that have, are still working together and so if if you find those people and say like you know you've got it you know you've got the unity you've got the the things that you need they're the ones that are worthy of being scaled they're the ones that should get to arenas they're the ones that you know they deserve to do that because they've put the work in and they've got they understand what needs to be done and they get it and mm -hmm. the reality is that there's an abundance of artists in the world there's 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 over 8 million active artists just on spotify now globally and so there is a deep blue ocean of artists and there are not many people out there like us. And so we can, we can find the ones that are the winners. And when I say winners, I don't mean that from a vanity metrics perspective. I mean it from a people perspective, you know, people that understand how it is. They understand that it's about collaboration. It's about working together. You cannot get there by yourself. They understand that they have to work hard. They understand that they have to serve their audience. They understand that, they have to execute and they have to they have to live through the good times and the bad times on their journey and so if you can find those artists and you can find people that whether they are solo artists or whether they are a band it doesn't really matter as long as you have that unity and and you have people that have the mindset of working as a collective then you're onto a winning situation and i've got an abundance of artists that i've been nurturing that have this mindset uh i want to come back to that that uh, in just a second, because there, there's a lot to unpack there. And uh, I have a, a few questions and comments about that. But just looking up Escape Arc, I couldn't find that. So I have your Facebook page. I have your LinkedIn page. Uh, where should I be sending people? Well, my website is thebakersays.com. Thebakersays. Why didn't I look up that? Okay. Thebakersays.com. Okay. And, uh, Escape Arc, you know, it's a new business. So we're really kind of just building the foundations right now. There's a lot of things that we're doing on the infrastructure side. We've just finalized um, a partnership with a company called Fuga, who are um, a distributor, who, who they operate as a master distributor. So a lot of distributors use them to get their music to Spotify and Apple and all of those platforms. Um, and the education system that we're developing is a membership-driven um, business. So we're basically creating a situation where for a low cost, artists can get the education they need. They can get support that they need to actually develop themselves as people and develop their artistry and develop their craft, okay? And then the idea is that, you know, we're going to monitor them and the ones that really show us that they get it, the things that I was talking about earlier, they have all the people metrics. We're actually building a system to identify to us people that do get it from the people metrics perspective. And so we're going to be able to have uh, a conveyor belt of talent that is aligned to the values that we have in our organization, the values that we have in terms of the way that we operate. And so um, unlike the, the, the traditional system is like, oh, that artist is moving on YouTube, that artist is moving on Instagram, that, let's, let's go to a gig. And all of the A&R, they all turn up at the same time and they all bid for the same project and they have a bidding war and suddenly they've signed an artist for a million dollars, but now you realize that the artist is on the edge of breaking up or the artist doesn't want to tour or they don't want to work with anyone else, all of these things. And so that's a very high risk strategy, yeah. Yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And artists are so flaky to begin with. And that's part of you were talking about mindset and work ethic and all that stuff is really, really important, I think, in any business. But at this point, 
because we talked earlier about the the modern A and R people in the old days. Just for just for a kind of recap here, in the old days, you know, I'm an old man, so I always say in the old days, back um, 40 years ago or so or more. A&R people played a crucial role, and the, the way it was was much different. The A&R person was a crucial uh, component in finding good talent, uh, essential talent that was going to be win, uh, a winner, or deciding, you know, who was worthy of taking a chance on and investing in. And in some sense, the, the radio, uh, the record companies at the time had the sense enough to hire people who were young and uh, on the cutting edge of what was happening, knew what was going on. And then it became a a big money game and they started putting executives in there who were less likely to take chances on people, didn't know the music very much, didn't know the audience very well. So here it is now so much later and you talk about the trouble with the A&R people, you're essentially having to take on that role of artist part of it, any artist and repertoire part of that now yourself. So finding that above mindset and work ethic, quality has to come into it in some way. And so where does that criteria come? Are you judging that or you have a team or like, are you going back to the old model where you have young hip people who understand the market uh, making that decision or, uh, you making that decision? Where who's making that decision of who's worthy of working with? Um, so for me, the success that the success is much more about the people and the mindset than it is about the talent. And so, if if you have people that look, you must have the talent. If you haven't got the talent, you're not going to get anywhere in life. And so you have to have that. But it's much more about the mindset. And so. It's um, if you have people that have the right mindset, they will focus their energy on the first thing that matters most is that you must have music and songs that are good enough to resonate with the audience. And if you haven't got that, don't do anything else. Like let's make sure that we have the songs first. And so um, going back to my bakery business, you know, it's like if we, if we're making a new product, we're not going to go and, um, supply all of our shops and all of our stores with a product that we don't know if people like it. We're just, we're just going to test it first. We're going to say, okay, we're going to make a small batch and we're going to give that to our most loyal customers. And we're going to say to them like, Hey, what do you think of this? And they're going to be like, this is awesome. Please make more. Or they'll be like, this is disgusting. Don't ever give me this again. <laughs> um, and so it, if, if you, it would be insane to fill the shop up with all of this product that we don't know if people want it or not. So the key is to, uh, be in a position where when you when you make the product, i.e. you go into the studio and you invest into all of that overhead and you make videos and you do all of these things, you already have an understanding that there is a demand for what you're giving, giving um, what you're going to put out there. And we're in a world where we can really very easily know um, if people like it or not. We can put it in front of people. We can use um, social media and we can we can get it in front of people to determine is there a demand? Like, do people like this? Now, and and you don't need to get that much of a sampling to know that, you know, if you if you have a, um, a song in a rudimental form and you put it in front of 100 people and 100 people say, this is terrible, um, please don't let my ears listen to this ever again, you <laughs> definitely are on a situation here that might not be a good idea to go to the studio and spend all of that money. If you put it in front of 100 people and... 
a lot of them say, wow, this is, this is great. This is great. You know you've got something there that is worth investing into, and it doesn't need to be all of them. It might be that you know, there's different layers in that 100 people. Some people are instantly connected. Some people need a bit longer. But you need to, you need to have some indication that there is a demand for what you're doing. And, and so you can, you can be very specific about making sure that you have what people um, are looking for. And look, let's face it, um, melody is the foundation to a, a good song. And if you don't have melody in a song, it makes it more difficult to connect with people. And that's just the truth, you know? If you don't have a hook and you don't have a payoff in the song, then that's going to make it much more difficult to, to galvanize and create an audience. Now, if you're if you already have an audience, they will be more tolerable. They will be like, okay, cool, we appreciate the art. You know, they will take that on board. But if you're trying to break an artist from scratch, you must have you must have songs that are going to connect with people. And, and that's just that's the reality. And so you have to, as part of our process, is like let's not do anything until we have until we have songs that we already have a good understanding are going to connect with an audience. And it's not about my opinion. It's the, the people that matter is the audience. And they're the, they're the ones that are going to decide if that, if you win or you don't win. And it doesn't matter what I think. I can think it's awesome. But if the audience is like, this is terrible, then unfortunately they're the ones that are going to decide if it's going to work or not. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of uh, in the middle here. I kind of agree with a lot of what you said, but I can tell you this. Um, recently, somebody at, in one of the music groups at, posed a question. Uh, what is What has been your biggest challenge? And uh, right now, of course, at my age, I'm not looking to make it in the music business anymore. But more, when I answer that honestly, I can look back and say, I I wasn't as, as talented or as... Uh, qualified didn't have the goods as as much as i thought i did and to some extent i mean i played in front of eighty thousand people who told and all of them chant yeah acting like it I was great I've, I've played in front of thousands of people and people have been telling me i was great my whole life it took me years and some really honest introspection to say not that good the reason i i did not uh, was not more successful in my music career when I was young, just didn't have the goods compared to so many people who were out there. That's a hard thing for a lot of people to uh, grasp. And and part of the, the, the feeding of that is these small crowds. Like when we test it in front of 1,000 people and test it in front of 10,000 people, they all love it. It's when you bring it to the wider masses that you find out well, yeah, but, those 10,000 people lied to you. <laughs> but, this, but this is the thing, Matt. We're, we're, we're in a different world because it, it used to be that, you know, when you go back to when you're talking about, it, the platform was radio and you had to get to that mass audience, okay? But in the, in the world that we live in today, you could say, well, look, I've got 10,000 people in this venue. They love what I'm doing, okay? So if I want to scale, all I need to do if there's 10,000 in one city, there'll be more in one another city. There'll be more in another city and so on in different countries. And so we're in a world where we can find we can find those people. You don't need that many people to really support you, to really build something really exciting. And so no, I get that. Absolutely. We're, we're in a, we're in a, when, when I built the Hunter, we were targeting um, females 13 to 18 exclusively. And so any, anyone else who was, who was male above 18 years old, didn't even know this band existed. They, they didn't even know. But yet the band was about to play to 10,000 people in London. 
And people who are male in the industry, they're like, who is this band? How come they're playing the 10,000 people? I've never heard of them before. I've never heard of them. Because we built a very specific audience that loves them for what they were doing. They loved the brand. They loved the music. They loved all the things that were going on. So we're in a very different world where it used to be that you had to get onto the, the mainstream radio and there'd be enough penetration in the marketplace that you would break through. That's not how it is today. You can, you can find, if I'm telling you, if you have an, enough people that like what you do in one place, they are, those same people exist everywhere else as well. No, and, that's, that's encouraging. It's an encouraging message, especially for young people who are trying to make it. And you're right. Uh, I clearly am out of touch with that. Um, idea of how how the paradigm works but i do know that a lot of and a lot of the young bands now have gotten hip to this idea of patreon and, and patronism and all that stuff but if they have ten thousand fans and because because the message has been for a while now if you have ten thousand fans all you need is one dollar each from each one of them a month and that's ten thousand dollars income a month and it makes a lot of sense but when you get get them to take action and and actually sign up for a membership page it's not as so i could have ten thousand fans and have ten patrons <laughs> right? uh, that that's part getting them to take action yeah that part. that's it and so, so that's where it's um cultivating you know building a relationship with the audience to the point where you know they think about you more than they think about anyone else to the point that they want to support you and and so they're the things that i've been teaching artists and you know i've got no, a number of projects that have gone from um not really having much of an income stream to having a really nice income stream by building a relationship with the audience and making it so that when it comes to consumption of music on streaming or it comes to wanting support on a live stream or buy merchandise, these fans, they care enough that they want to support. And, and so, you know, building a, um, a relationship with the audience, that's a, you know, that's a thing that you have to do. That's an action you must take to do. And, and so not every artist is prepared to do that. Some artists, they, they, they are, they believe that the world owes them because they're awesome and they, they, they have amazing art and they're not, why should I put this effort in? Why should I connect? My art's amazing. Now, that's not how it works. How it works is that you have to, there's a lot of noise in the world. There's a lot going on. And if you if you don't give people enough attention yourself, you're not going to get the attention from them. That's the right. reality. I, I get that. And social media plays a big part in this. Now, the, yeah. net, the follow up to that, and I hate to sound like an old man, but I am an old man. Um, <laughs> does because, and I've seen this not just in music, but in all areas of entertainment. The guy who gets the gig is, or the girl who gets the gig, is the one with the most social media followers, and and that's the way it works now. So, be, because creating that social media following and 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 building your community is such an important part of it, does that dumb down or or take away from the quality of the art because people have to concentrate so much on on building that community and, and maintaining that relation, customer relationship, I guess, is the, uh, you know, if we're being called business about it, customer relationship, the, maintaining that customer relationship takes precedent over creating great art in, in many ways, does it not? I think that the, the key is to understand the, the power of um, having a relationship with your audience, okay? But the thing that, the thing that we have to leverage is advertising and so if you have a piece of content that is very engaging and it and it and it really builds the relationship deeper with your audience all you have to do is run advertising to that content and that will bring people in to connect with you 
you can scale yourself by having content that resonates, but getting in front of lots of people systematically all at the same time. You can do things like using a live stream, go live once a week and connect with your audience. You know, you don't have to spend, there's a, there's, it's a bit of a myth that you have to spend like all day, every day, DMing and all of these things. That, that's important to do at the, at the beginning especially, but as you grow, you can bring other people, if, if you've got a business that's starting to grow, you can bring people in that can help you do these things as well. So you can you can create the perception that that's happening, even though you're not doing it yourself. And and so with the Hunter, I had a team that we were replying to DMs, we were, we were replying to comments. So the fans felt that the band were connecting with them. And so you can create that same connection by leveraging other people around you, as long as they understand your brand and they understand, you know, this is what I was saying about, you know, you have to have a great product. You have to have a brand that people resonate with and connect that product to the people. You have to have a marketing strategy that will get in front of them. You have to have a plan that you're going to do that. You have to have an execution, a plan you can execute. And then you have to have sales processes, you know, to collect income, whether that's streaming or Patreon or a match store or live ticketing or live streaming, whatever it might be, you have to have these things in place. And so if you have all of these things in place, it makes it much easier for you to actually build your business you know artists need to consider themselves as being a business it's no different to anything else and of course their their craft is the art that they make and they have to focus on that so if they have a business they have to say that well my role is to create the product my role is to do that my role is to connect with the audience and they have to be prepared to collaborate with other people that are going to help take care of all of the other things as well and we're kind of in a, a little bit of a an interesting situation where you've got a lot of um, artists out there saying, you know, we must own all of our masters and we must own everything. And that's fine if you don't want to work with anyone else because no one's going to come in and invest into you with time and their, their money. They're not going to do that. Like time is the most precious thing that we have. We can never get that back. And so why should someone dedicate time to you if they're not going to have a stake in the future um, rewards that come? Right. I think part of that attitude comes from past experience of people who got, who got burnt by uh, get, getting taken advantage of. And yeah. so how do you how do you how do you overcome that uh, stigma of if I if I if I sign a deal uh, and give away, you know, my my content and it's not giving away it's selling but how do i know i'm not going to get raped and and end up just like you know some of those musicians from the from that i hear about who you know destitute they had you know they've had millions of record sales and and they're living in their mom's trailer in the backyard or something well, i don't want to yeah for me it comes down to education and really fundamentally it comes down to trust you, you know you have to build a relationship with the artist, they have to build a relationship with you. And it comes down to building a deep trust. And for me, it's um, really, it's a case of if you, if you don't have trust in any relationship, what do you have? Trust is the foundation to any relationship. To be successful, you have to have trust. And so that comes down to, from, from our point of view, that comes down to being transparent. It comes down to being fair. It, it comes down to to doing what we said we will do. You know, if you do those things, then you have then you maintain trust. But when you start doing those things, you lose trust. And so, trust is a foundation. 
I, I can see that, absolutely. Now, I just want to bring in this comment by John Russell who says, yeah, I think it's easier to sell someone else's products or services than it is to sell our own. That speaks to me of a mindset of a lot of artists, musicians, any, across the board. I mean, authors, uh, comedians, you name filmmakers, is this idea of a mindset about money uh, that is a healthy mindset, meaning because a lot of artists suffer from what we call imposter syndrome. I don't deserve it. I'm, you know, I, uh, in some sense, in the back of my mind, the insecurities tell me I'm faking my way through this. Uh, and, and so I develop a bad mindset about whether I deserve the yes. money and all that stuff. Talk about that. So, so my, my take on this is this, okay. You are being bold enough to, to make art and put the art at the, into the world. Okay. That's, that's a very bold thing to do. Many people are afraid of doing that. But so the fact that you're bold enough to do this, you have a duty to try and push it out there and try and serve the audience with your artistry. And if you don't do that, they're, they're not going to get what you've created for them. And so you, you have to switch your mindset to say that actually your duty is to push this out there. Your duty is to, you know, you've seen that people are getting value from it. You're seeing that people are enjoying it. You have to get more people. You have to get this in front of more people. And, and, Money is the fuel and the energy form that we need to get in front of more people, to bring in more resources, to have more capability, to get in front of more people. And so you have to you have to view that money is the um, the energy source that's going to help you do anything that you want to do. And so if you don't ask for the money, you can't generate the money. And right. so you first have to have that mindset that you are. You, you know, you're being bold, and and that's a that's that's a rare thing in the world that we live in. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and it, as an artist, you are somebody that can influence your audience and improve their lives through the art that you're making and through the person that you are. You're being bold. You know, maybe you can inspire one person in your audience to go and be bold as well. That will make the world a better place because we all need to be more bold. And so, if you look throughout history, Matt, it's you know. Art has always been, and artists have always been the influencers in culture. They've always driven, they've always been the saviors. And, and so that's why in a skate park, I truly believe that art is the answer to all problems. And so our, our ethos in a skate park is solving the world's problems through art, because art is the answer to the world's problems. I think I believed that when I was young. I, I, I think it got beat out of me. At some point, I, I remember uh, feeling that way. And again, I, you know, I hate to for young people. I'm sorry, I uh, but I date myself all the time. I remember when John Lennon got assassinated. That that feeling, that idea, got taken out of me to a large extent. I stopped. I, you know, I just thought, you know, somebody who could write, imagine, and 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 produce a song like that to be murdered, I'm thinking, well, he hasn't made any difference in the world with his art in any way because the end result is um, people said, yeah, nice song, John. <laughs> You're dead. Uh, so um, I, I would love to get that back. Um, but, you know, I'm probably too old to even uh, have that optimism. I think you're well, you're an optimist. <laughs> listen, listen I, I've got a project that I'm going to talk about called Seven Horse, okay? And these guys, they were previously, two of them were in a band called Dada that toured the world. They played with Sting. They had a, a number one alternative chart hit. They sold a million, million copies, okay, in the U.S. 
And th their band, Seven Horse, they, I connected them almost two years ago now. And, and Phil, who's the drummer and the singer in the project, he's in his 50s. And he, he had a mindset that was very um, limiting. You know, it was very like, you know, he was going through the motions. He was just like not really having any plans, not really having any vision. And so I said to him, you know, Phil, you've, you've got all of this experience of things that you've done in your life. You've got all of the things that the journey you've had so far. You have fans that love your music. I can see there's enough, you know, I, I've seen enough evidence to know that you can scale the, your project. You can connect with a lot more people. And in the last two years, he's absolutely changed his mindset. And he's gone from not having any idea of where he's going to having a goal of playing the Greek theater here in Los Angeles to 6,000 people from playing 50 people two years ago. And he went from 50 to 500 in one year by just having the mindset that this is what we're going to do and just taking action. And so Phil is a, an example of somebody that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter um, if you believe that you're not able to, to do it. Okay. If you switch your mindset and say, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to execute. You'll be astounded at what you can achieve still in your lifetime. There's a lot of, there's a lot of seconds in every day, Matt. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate that uh, in in so many ways because um, I had a comedian on who who uh, I'm not going to say his name uh, who who wrote a book and he is in his fifties and the book became pretty successful and I said to him, uh, you know, what's it like, uh, you know, switching gears to become an author, you know, it's late in life and he said, well, you can't become a rock star late in life and I I started to think about it. I think that paradigm has been changed because. There are people who are making a dent at and older ages, and so that that was good to hear. I John has another comment I want to bring in because I think it is a um, question anyway. Carl, what about uh, chance or luck? Eddie Vedder once said that he didn't understand why Pearl Jam became famous, and other bands that he considered as good or better did not. What is what is your take on that? Chance and luck. Well, th this is luck. this is what I was saying about the the music industry is very much that their model is hey, we're going to sign. 25 bands and we're going to do the same with all of them. And what we know is one of them is going to just by virtue of chance and luck, one of them is going to come through. That, that's just like the model, you know? Right. And so there's a lot of stuff that happens. And I realized this very early that like, no, one, you know, I did an interview in 2018 and the headline said, I realized that no one in the music business knows what they're doing. Okay. And when I said that, I mean it from the point of view of people, really don't know what they're doing. They're just like going through the motions, throwing mud at the wall. As you said, protecting their jobs. That's the thing they care about the most. <laughs> um, and then they're, they're really not doing anything with intention. So what, what I did when I, with the hunters, I made a plan of action of what we we're going to do and I executed and I made it a reality. Okay. And I'm, I'm seeing with the projects that I've been mentoring and working with over the last two years that the ones that are listening and, and, and taking these ideas on board, are the ones that are making incredible progression. And you can make progress at a level that will blow your mind when you have the intention to make that progress. And you, you have the intention to, to take responsibility for the fact that it's on you to take the action, it's on you to trigger this, it's on you to, there's a lot of people in the world that believe that the, the world owes them something. We spoke about this earlier, but ultimately we've got to do it. You know, we have to do this ourselves. Like, if we can't rely on ourselves, who can we rely upon? And so if you want to bring others on board to help you, you've got to show that you're willing to do it yourself and do right. what is necessary. 
All right. We're all, all up against the hour here. And uh, I, do you have an extra minute or two? Because I have. A, oh, I do. I do. I, okay. I don't have any other. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, question is, and uh, I, it's kind of a, a weird one, but um, because we talked about mindset and you're doing this consultation with people to find out about their mindset. My experience has been. People will lie to you, tell you what you want to hear. And so especially musicians, when I've had put bands together, and I'm thinking about my youth when I had a 13-piece band and we had an offer, we had a, 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 a production deal and distribution deal, and everybody was on board with doing what they had to do, right mindset. When it came to going on the road, everybody, uh, not everybody, few people uh, were hesitant, couldn't, you know, didn't want to leave home, whatever, you know, all that stuff. And so... In the interview process and right up, and it can take a while until something happens when they, they have to shit or get off the pot, in other words, and then you find out that they lied to you from the beginning. They gave you the right answers, all about mindset and all about dedication and work ethic. Has, has you, uh, how do you deal with that? And how, do, is your consultation enough to kind of really, really be a tough? Well, well, I want to make sure you're you're not bullshitting me here. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, my 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 process is not so much about consultation. So I've got I'm educating artists on what they should do. Okay, and then I'm watching them. Are they executing? Are they doing it? Okay, and then the ones that are doing it, I'm giving them more support. I'm helping them further. Okay, so I'm I'm not seeing it. I'm not doing it in an interview. I'm doing it over twelve months, two gotcha. years. Okay, so I'm I'm seeing. I'm seeing the ones that are doing it and I'm seeing the ones that said they would do it, but are not doing it. And so I'm finding the ones that are doing it. And, um, and they're the ones that I want to partner with because they are already, they're already showing that they're winning they're already doing it themselves and they're already proven that they're prepared to do it. So this is um, much more about over time than it is about, Hey, this guy has told me he's going to do it. I'm going to sign them and, and all of that. It's much more about earning the right to partner up at that point. And so I've got, a low, a low, a low ticket membership that we're developing, and I've also got a high ticket membership and elite mastermind that is more of a six month optimization of taking people through a process to help optimize their entire artist business. And so, six months of being in the trenches and really seeing people, you can really get an understanding of if people have all they don't, have, you know. Right, and, and uh, has I'm I know it's changed to some extent, but the landscape of building this community and and creating that relationship it, i know it's a lot more on social media but in the old days again it was about performing and and creating that uh relationship and that connection with your customers through your performance now in, in today's world for original people who are doing original music it's really hard to find a place to play in the first place everything is about tribute bands about you know people want to relive cheap versions of aerosmith and u2 or whatever uh copy bands that are doing <laughs> uh so that those people eat up all the venues so the uh, original artists don't have much of a place to play maybe it's different in other areas of the country or other areas of the world but here where i am it's almost impossible is that still an important element getting out there and play and how do they overcome that there's no no rooms for original music anymore so what i would say is if you if you cultivate the audience online and you build an audience online they will they will want to come and see you play live. And so it's much easier to get into a venue when you already have an audience that wants to come and see you. Right. you know, venues, they, they, they want to make sure that they pay their overheads. And so if you have an audience that they're like, hey, we want to come and see you. If you go to the venue and say like, hey, I've got 500 people that want to come and see me, 
they're way more likely to want to give you a gig than if you go like, hey, would you give me a gig? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's no, and, and I know this for uh, from from my experience, there's no, uh, because somebody has 80,000, because my band has 80,000 followers on our website, uh, and when we play a gig, we're lucky to get 500 people out, which is still a lot of people, but uh, we're doing covers mostly. We took some original stuff out still, but, you know, we're a cover band. But uh, it's easier to say I'm going to bring, I have this huge following, and I'm going to bring a whole, all these people, but then, the you know, so. Yeah, look, I think you have to build evidence. You know, it's like if if you have um, 500 people in New York who have bought your latest vinyl and, and they've bought merchandise and, and they're saying like, hey, I want to come and see you. If, they've, if they're invested in you already, it's very likely that they are not bullshitting you. They want to come, you know? And so you have to, for me, it's not, about this, it's not about the vanity metric. It doesn't matter how many followers you have on social media. We all know that that can be falsified. Yeah. Uh, what, what matters is like how many people are actually connecting to you like when you post your content how many people are commenting how many people are sending you messages how many people are that's what matters and and people how many people are actually customers how many people are buying from you when you release your vinyl and it's beautiful how many people are actually parting with their hard-earned cash to buy that from you if you have customers you know if you have people that want to do that and you can build this relationship online and they will become a customer if you have enough of them matt then you can go to the, you can go to a venue and say, look, hey, look, this are, these are real transactions. Please, will you give me a chance? Now, if you do the show and everyone turns up, next time you're going to get another gig. If you do the show and nobody turns up, you're not getting another gig. And this is just how it works. You know, you have to. It has to be real. It has to be legitimate. It has to be authentic. If it's not, then you're going to lose. People are going to be like, we don't trust you anymore. Right. You know, that's that's the reality, isn't it? Yeah, and and just uh, to and I thank you for this time and insights, and I hope I hope we've helped some people out there. There are so many, so many artists out there now who are struggling, and the more you struggle, the more resentful you get, and more jaded you get, and more cold you get about uh, the, the uh, you know optimism. So hopefully, this message will is a me- uh, message of encouragement and uh, for people. Not to necessarily give up, but I do think there is some point back to my original point about you have to be honest with yourself about how much talent you have and how what uh, you know and a lot of musicians, especially if they they've performed and got a small audience telling them how great they are consistently, will buy into that they want to buy yes. into that then I'm going to make it someday and then you know, you live a life and you find out you didn't make it. You're pretty, you're going to be cold about it and blame everybody but yourself and yes. blame your talent. So I think there is some point on that. But I agree with you. I agree with you that there's a lot of delusion yeah. in, in, in the artist's minds. And so you have to, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to be prepared to take honest feedback when it's given to you. That's, that's the real takeaway from this is when you get good business advice, because most artists, let's face it, the artist mind is not the businessman mind. So most artists should be self-aware enough to know I'm not a very good business person. I need good business advice. And when I hear good business advice, I better recognize it and take action yes. on it rather than just say, well, uh, yeah, that's nice, but uh, what does that guy know? He's not, yeah, and then, you know, end up 
like me, <laughs> talking about it, talking about what should have been or could have been uh, 40 years down the road. So you don't want to, you don't want to live that. that uh, Carl, I, I thank you a lot. So people should get in touch with you at thebakersays.com. Yeah, and and yeah, my handle on social media is at thebakersays on Instagram and as well. So just, look, I'm accessible. If you send me a message, I will definitely come back to you. I, I like to connect with my audience and create and you know, it's all about connection, my friend. It's all about relationships. Yeah. And so and I'm very much about going deep into that. And that's why I, I did, you know, I decided to go deep on building relationships and doing six fires and one to one Zoom calls. By the way, you know, these were not paid calls. These were these were like, hey, you bought my book, I'm gonna go on a call with you. Right. And so this was really about building a tribe and really practicing what I preach to the authors, you know, like, hey, this I'm doing it myself. I'm building relationships myself. Look at the results I'm getting, you know. I've sold over 30,000 books one by, directly to audience by building relationships. Good for you. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I think that's, that's part of that trust thing, too, is you need to see that yes. people are actually walking the walk, not just yes. talking the talk. Absolutely. Uh, um, final thing I want to leave you with. Uh, uh, I don't know how aware you are of this, but I've had probably 125 original artists on this program. Uh, I'm a big fan of trying to boost and get publicity to uh, up-and-coming artists. So anybody that you come in contact or you're working with, uh, if you could suggest to them, here's an outlet for you to get some publicity. Uh, This guy, Matt Napo, has a a cool podcast you should be on, and he'll help you get some exposure and help push you. Work really hard to get your your name out there. I would appreciate that. Absolutely, Matt. I will share this with my audience. I appreciate that. Thank you for coming today, and thanks for your insight. And doors always open anytime you want to come back uh, and and discuss this stuff further. Well, Matt, this is very much the calm before the storm. Um, I'm about to launch multiple projects ahead that I have bigger ambitions than I have with the Hunter. And you know, this is this is I'm just starting to go public with my mission and the vision I've got. I'm really going for it, and so I really appreciate the opportunity, Matt. And I look forward to coming back on this in the future and saying, like, look, man, this is the things I was talking about. This is what we're doing right now. Excellent. Can't wait. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Thank you for the, the platform, Matt. I appreciate look, it. Look forward to seeing and hearing more from you, Carl. Thank you for Thank coming. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Carl Hitchborn, folks, a.k.a. The Baker. I'm just going to call him The Baker. <laughs> Again, I, I, my mind goes back to The Godfather, The Baker. <laughs> Godfather fans. Big takeaways from here. Uh, wow, there's so much to think about. But uh, the, the happy takeaway for me is for you people in, let's say, your 30s or 40s, and you, you, you're thinking, well, it's not my game. Music is uh, only a young people's sport. Not so much the truth anymore. Uh, so if you're a quality artist, you put it and paid your dues all along, and it's about time you kind of took some good business advice and really uh, put some power uh, of a good business mind behind your art and get off your ego. You're not a great business person. If you were, you wouldn't be a, a great artist. So uh, if there are those people out there who've reached the point in their life where they're not spring chicken anymore. They're not in their twenties, and they're they're thinking, "Well, this music is a young person's game. It's not so much anymore." That's the biggest takeaway. But there's been a lot in this, so I'd love to hear what you think about this uh, conversation. Write to me at info at minddogtv, info at minddogtv.com. Again, Carl's uh, links will be in the description, and I do hope you will uh, check him out and and see if he can help you. Um, 
rise to the next level with you with your music and art so that's a big takeaway today till tonight when david dodd will be with me and we'll be talking about resilience and overcoming uh setbacks in life i guess uh, could be applied to uh your musical career as well so that's 8 p.m tonight uh 8 p.m eastern till then i'm at napa for the mind dog tv podcast thanks for coming have a great rest of your day and bye for now
listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 